came to realize that what started out as a natural disaster became a man-made disaster. We cannot control the natural disaster, but what we can do is control our response. Have you ever wondered whether disasters are actually natural? If so, you're in the right place. Hello and welcome. My name is Jason von Metting. And I am Xenia Chmutina. This is Disasters Deconstructed, a podcast where we examine why disasters really happen. Thank you for tuning in. Hello, Xenia. How are you? I'm good. Hello, Jason. That was a very formal hello. It was. Like after our last episode, which was kind of a weird, random introduction with a sneeze, <laughs> that like maybe people expect something a bit more serious from okay, us. Okay, we'll be, we will be very serious from now on. Um, no more laughter, no more jokes, just serious disaster stuff. I don't think you can <laughs> manage that. No, <laughs> it's a good challenge, but yeah, I'll fail, you know, so I'm not gonna, I'm not even gonna try. True. Well, this is our last episode of season five. Very exciting. Um, exciting. Yeah, it's been a, a really interesting season and I think great to revisit some themes from like our early days, <laughs> early days, like two years ago. <laughs> when we were young. <laughs> yeah. It does feel like two decades ago. I don't know why. Uh, in a good way, you know. <laughs> don't get me wrong. <laughs> well, there's this thing called COVID that kind of extended the last two years for like 10 years. So. Yeah, are we like counting year, like dog years now, you know? So every COVID so. year. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's what it feels like. And, Perfect. Um, but in any case, season five has been about getting back to some uh, basic discussions about disasters. So that's been really cool. And um, I think the speakers that we've had on with us uh, have brought up some some incredible issues and perspectives on those mm -hmm. issues. And yeah, we, we just really appreciate everyone who listens and the way you participate in our um, episodes where we ask people to send in clips and engage with us on social media and we just yeah we appreciate all of you and today we're just going to wrap up the season and tell you about what's next yeah i think it's been exciting season also because we've managed to basically have a monthly live stream right for the for the fast past mm. few months which was which was great and and i i, I love them all the two live streams that we had on the power prestige and forgotten values manifesto so one with established scholars and the second one with early career researchers mm. um was so great it's just the conversation was just amazing and so inspiring and of course the radix um which is now kind of has relaunched website um, it was again fantastic to engage with the network and to talk about the accord and of course to talk about the founders of Radix. The book group with Claudia Santos was fantastic again. You know, it was nice to read fiction, um, especially for me. And I'm glad you got to read fiction. No, it was. Fiction. I enjoyed it actually. <laughs> <laughs> See, I told you, fiction is great. Yeah. Um, and and then the voices of the youth. So our collaboration with the UN major group for children and youth at the part of the Asia Pacific Researchers, Practitioners, Policymakers in Dialogue mm -hmm. with Children and Youth Project. 
So yeah, so many exciting things and many more exciting things that come in the next season, but we'll talk about this later. But the thing that we really need to work more on, um, reflecting on the season, is our inability not to use jargon. Um, True. I think I was a key contributor to our jargon jar um, this season. I need to pay my contributions, um, <laughs> you know, following the logic of Badieu. Um, I think we still are that all was, following that was a classic, the logic. Yeah. <laughs> there was, wasn't there? Um, yeah, so I hope everybody is kind of following us with that, you know, and forgiving us for using so much jargon. We will get better in season 50. <laughs> well, yeah, and this, this is something that's um, been formalized, right? So that we have an mm. actual jargon jar now. We do, we do. It's a virtual jargon virtual jar, jargon but the jar. actual virtual jargon jar. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about that a bit because we set that up recently and we both started to make our contributions. So you can find the jargon jar if you go onto our onto our Twitter. There is a virtual jargon jar. If you, you know, are having a chat with your friend and you use your fancy language and they kind of look at you funny, then you know that you're guilty, right? And you should visit our jargon jar, confess your sins, make <laughs> make a contribution. And actually, I've I've arranged with my youngest son's um, teacher. He's in second grade, so I've arranged to go into his class later in the year to to talk about disasters. This is a class of seven year olds, and um, what I want to do is make a make a contribution to their class from the jargon jar. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's that's what the plan is. Anybody who who makes contributions there, it's going to go to um, school visits that we're going to do. I'm going to start off here in the US and then Europe next, Xenia. Yeah, well, And then after that, we might rope, rope in other people to uh, visit classrooms near them and talk about disasters and, and kind of the idea being that we should be able to translate the things that we're talking about into mm -hmm. at different levels to people with... Um, who use professional language and to people who are in different disciplines and to people who are different ages, you know, so that's, that's a challenge and not many scientists do it very well. Absolutely. So yeah, join us in our challenging ourselves to, you know, to, to communicate in a much more clear manner. Right. Talking of communication, Jason, my favorite question of every final episode, how have we done uh, this season? <laughs> what are our stats? Who is the star of the season? Well, it's all very close uh, in terms of what's been popular. Um, I think we can say that we've we've seen like a, a growth in every season on season, you know, of, mm -hmm. of subscribers, which is really cool. So Amazing. like when we release an episode, there's uh, a lot more people that are um, downloading automatically with an app or whatever. So thank you all for subscribing and keep on doing that. Tell your friends. It's been great to to like look at the like where the downloads are coming from. I looked into this recently, and we we have listeners in over a hundred countries, which is pretty amazing. Cool. Mm -hmm. And we're we're coming up towards our hundredth episode. <gasps> I mean, if you include all the live streams, we've done way more than a hundred. Yeah, but um, yeah, just the ones that we've released on the podcast. Um, on Podbean, we're almost at 100. That'll happen probably in the next season. And 
Yeah, something else to mention is just the way that we're we're hearing that the podcast is being um, prescribed in curricula around the world. Yes. You know, and, and if anybody's using this with your students or you've seen it on the syllabus that you're studying, do let us know. We're trying to start to make a list of this. Mm-hmm. Anyway, in any case, the uh, the most downloaded episodes this season were the first two, um, which were David Pravat and Susanna Hoffman. Amazing. And so, yeah, that episode with Susanna really getting back to the the central idea of and composition of a disaster Mm. um and then the episode we launched with with david uh which was yeah just talking about how how technical experts how scientists how practitioners are often working in this technocratic space which uh, is not very socially conscious and i think that really resonated with people because it's something that we all see day to day right um yeah, so that's kind of where we're at. But like I said, almost every episode has been really well received this season. We are um, just so grateful that you all are enjoying it and listen. We've heard lots of different stories about, um, you know, when and when and why and how people tune in and engage, <laughs> which is cool. And moving forward, we're going to continue this, what we've done this season, which has been way less stressful than before. <laughs> which is like the release every two weeks. It's a bit more manageable for me to get this done. So we're going to continue that next season and see how that goes. In the meantime, we have lots of plans to release some of the live streams as specials on, mm-hmm. on Fridays, but that just depends on like editing. And yeah, it takes time, you know? Right? <laughs> I know. I and know. so... <laughs> So yeah, today um, it's really a chance for us to reflect on season five. We're going to play you like we always do some of our favorite moments and have a bit of a discussion about some of the key themes emerging. course the idea that disasters uh, fell into two categories. Uh, One was natural that comes from the environment. So we have this pervasive notion of natural disasters. And the other was technological and oh dear that was human caused. And that the first one didn't even cause looking for the where it emanated from what was the cause of a so-called natural disaster because it was some kind of um, spiritual will or environmental will. The other usually caused a witch hunt because then you would go after who caused Chernobyl. That, that's gotten very muddled now because we now realize that, that there is no such thing as a natural disaster. They are all human caused at one level or another. And if they are all human caused, the, the solutions are social and cultural. And so our attention has turned to what has brought those about, what is causing vulnerability, what is uh, causing the, the tremendous increase in disasters which we're seeing. I'm really, really interested in the ways in which technology amplifies risk, the way that reliance on complex technological systems um, amplifies hazards, and 
this belief that technology is going to save us from all of these dangers, which in turn usually kind of means that we find ourselves at the risk of new technological dangers. An event implies a clear-cut beginning and ending. And when we think about colonisation and neoliberalism as disasters, it becomes clear that beginnings are complex and the endings haven't happened yet. But this is also probably true with most disasters. They are created by the status quo and the status quo obviously does not have clear beginnings and endings. Um, Also, just as an event suggests a certain time period, it also implies a specific geographic space, which may not represent the locations in which the construction of risk has taken place, for example, political institutions. In this season, we talked a lot about disasters and quite a few of our guests have actually discussed what is a disaster. Mm how we understand disaster and how different people understand disaster and kind of how we end up with one. And Jason, I'm just going to surprise you uh, as always, always, you know, because I I was thinking a lot about this, right? And kind of how we define what disaster is and how we then end up with one, right? And I, of course, uh, found a little... Um, piece by, again, Eduard Goliano. You know, I cannot not read him, right? It's every season I must. Uh, it's called The Haitian Curse. And I'm just okay. going to read this for you because I think it summarizes a lot of what's been said well. So, uh, The Haitian Curse by Eduard Goliano from his book, Children of the Day. The earthquake in Haiti was the culminating tragedy of a country without shade, without water, devastated by imperial greed and the war against slavery. The dethroned slavers explain it another way. Voodoo was and is to blame for all the country's misfortunes. Voodoo doesn't deserve the name religion. It is nothing but African superstition, black magic, a black obsession, the devil's thing. The the Catholic Church, which has no shortage of faithful believers willing to sell the fingernails of saints or feathers from the wings of an archangel Gabriel, got Haiti to outlaw voodoo in 1845, 1860, 1896, 1915 and 1942. In recent time, evangelical sects took up the battle against superstition. They come from the country of Pat Robertson, a country that has no 13th floor in its skyscrapers, no row 13th in its airplanes, where civilized Christians who believe God created the world in seven days are in the majority. Dang, I never heard that before. <laughs> I knew you like it. Um, but so again, good. it's yet another beautiful description of how we decide what is right and wrong. And I think this is just so prominent in the way that we discuss disasters, right? And what kind of manifest mm. disaster. Um, and well, as let's quote JC Gaia here, the epistemological nonsense, which is my favorite phrase <laughs> that was now. A good, of, that was great. It was brilliant, right? Um, in which we discuss disasters as a kind of universal thing uh, is really something we should be considering more because the positions and the views are not reflected at all in the way we discuss what disaster is. We were very happy to hear that from a department head 
at dealing with disaster risk reduction and management. But during their meetings, we were not invited to attend. <laughs> so, so that's really a problem. That's really a problem. And it all from the provincial government down to down to the municipal level where we work with municipal officers they look at us the lgbt working in humanitarian response as something that is not that um i don't know how what word to use to describe them maybe maybe they will they just uh tolerate us like what they they, they did to us in some other aspects. But to seriously consider an LGBT group in humanitarian response, I think that is far-fetched. But we are very patient. We, we can wait. And the best thing that we should do is to keep on implementing projects in order for us to be visible in the entire humanitarian system. She stated, and this was shortly after Hurricane Katrina, uh, stop calling me resilient. Because every time you say, oh, they're resilient, that means you can do something else to me. I am not resilient. And I think what Tracy Washington and other organizers uh, rightly point out across the Gulf of Mexico region is that particular communities, and oftentimes this is communities of color, are perpetually being placed in a position of resiliency. Basically a way of saddling them persistently with the negative impacts of repeated disasters. So Tracy Washington and others recognize that this repeated ask constitutes in itself an injustice. So for me, instead of asking what is needed to understand resiliency, I think it's more important to understand first how people relate to land. So how ecological processes need to become res resilient to acute shocks, but we need to separate that from the people and the communities that inhabit those regions. So the second theme that was really prominent in this season, I think, and represented in those um, clips from, from a couple of our episodes, was this um, necessity to promote different um, voices, different communities, different identities, and to bring bring people together that are sometimes disconnected, you know, between people mm. who are working at a more like like who are seen as experts and mm -hmm. people who are seen as non-experts. Um, you know, communities and practitioners, or communities and policymakers and researchers. We have these different groups of of people um, who have agendas, who have positions. And often they are pulling in different directions. Um, within that, then, I think we need to really recognize the power differential that exists. Mm -hmm. Like something, and I, I don't know if I talked about this before in the podcast, but I told you about the, the program I went on with Cormac Russell in the summer um, about community development and about mm. the, the role of the practitioner. And the like how we need to be so sensitive as disaster scholars because we're often put in this position of perceived expertise, perceived like knowledge. Um, even we can even talk as, you know, you and I both have roles as educators as well in the classroom. Mm. And like it's on us to disrupt the 
dominant power relationship between teacher and student, as sure. as Freire says. Um, but but yeah, when we when we think about this podcast and about the voices that are promoted, the stories that are told, who tells them, um, how do they really reveal the the issues that people are facing, the the um, marginalization that's occurring, the oppression and violence. Um, I think that's what's really core. And so there's some stories that you and I just should not be the ones telling, right? And For so, sure. yeah, I think one, one of the things emerging in, again in this season, I think it's come through quite a bit in previous seasons too, is just the, the need to... Um, for us to sit back and listen better and use the the resources that we have to try to help while stepping back, you know, or I don't know mm. what you want to call it, but so yeah, for me, it just reinforces the possibilities that there are for us maybe to, you know, get really creative in the way that we produce content for the podcast and live streams and, um, mm just to hold space for people to share mm -hmm. and play the role of, of listening and, you know, producing the content. And like other people are the voice that people need to hear. Engineers, our education is somewhat short-sighted. Not somewhat, it is short-sighted in terms of uh, thinking that uh, we can be, you know, some sort of knights on the white horse riding into town, clop-de-clop-clop-de-clop. I'm here to save the day. I'm here to save the day. No, we are not. We are merely a part of the communities. Okay, uh, and, and it has slowly dawned on me that the problems we are most able to fix, you know, problems again in quotation marks, are those uh, that are commonly owned by communities. So the, this idea of uh, having the knowledge, European-born knowledge, uh, on a higher level than others, um, I think it's a fallacy. And I think a lot of people will just listen to that now. We're going to think, well, you know, it's science. Come on. Uh, yeah, it's science is perfect, but let's think about within science. If you think about quantum mechanics, for instance, uh, quantum mechanics cannot be explained by that science that we use in natural hazards. The Newtonian science, the Newtonian physics doesn't work. So how can you explain that this uh, wonderful science that should be explaining everything in the domain of hazards and disaster risk doesn't work in some parts of physics? Um, here again, I think that once we leave our cocoon from uh, Western culture and get outside, we can discover that there are other forms of creating and the recording knowledge that are very powerful. And they're also very powerful when it comes to saving lives. Uh, I've seen more uh, local knowledge helping local people than I've seen physics or mathematics or 
any other geoscientific models for the for this case. Communication for hope is about providing a message that fits the dimension of change one is capable of per to perform. And re resistance, because I don't want to miss this bit of our question that I love very much, resistance is about preserving and strengthening this collective character of this, of this process. And so if we look to, to disasters that we face today, like climate change or the emergence of authoritarian regimes, threats to, to, to democracy all over many places of the world, they are presented as huge. And the kind of communication that we do many times is presented as, this, as, as, as an individual solution, an individual participation. So even if we, when we talk about social networks, this chain is dispersed in the individual nodes. And so for me, resistance and hope in communication are about keeping or sometimes recovery, agency and collective engagement um, among, this, uh, among the pe people suffering the, the, the problems. To build up on what Jason said and on some of the conversations that we had with David and Chris and Thomas and Anna um, in the season, they again, they asked us or they invited us to rethink what do we actually mean by science and does science give us enough to be able to stop disasters? And I use science here in quotation marks. Mm. Um, I think we've, we've been having these conversations quite a lot lately in that many of us have really started discussing how our understanding of science is very much Western and kind of enlightenment driven, right? Yeah. And this absolute obsession with science as kind of neutral, you know, is really showing that it doesn't work for, di for disaster scholarship. Well, in fact, it doesn't work for any scholarship, right? But okay, for us, it's more comfortable to talk about disaster scholarship. As you know, I was reading the De Souza Santos um, recently mm -hmm. quite a lot. And he writes that neutrality is an ideological device in a society divided between oppressors and oppressed. In such society, to remain neutral amounts to being on the side of the powerful and the oppressor. True. And I think about this a lot, you know, when we talk about the rigor and the kind of innovation in science, um, because we are somehow, um, by doing normative social science in particular, we are sort of invited to be neutral, right? Or we pretend to be neutral, yeah. which of course it, it, it never is the case. I'm just, um, I, I just want to chat a little bit about this paper that, you know, hopefully <laughs> we'll see the light of day soon, you know, where um, you and Wes and I have reflected on our own experiences with the way that our science has been reviewed right yeah. uh, by by, pe by by peers who are supposed to enhance science and enhance knowledge but instead what what has been happening lately is that there is a lot of ideological judgment and so we are not allowed as scholars very often to go beyond normative science so anything that doesn't fit into kind of normative qualitative research right and you know whoever established what what that is the rules are isn't isn't well that's western scholarship um it's just is almost kind of banned from seeing the light of day 
And I find this fascinating because we really stop scholars from debating and discussing and maybe appreciating that there is more than just normative methodologies, right? And that those normative methodologies, they do not work in the context um, that should and, and that they should actually be challenged because they allow us to engage in a different way um, with the way we think and with the way we then produce knowledge. Yeah, I think it's like, like thinking about that paper, I'm really looking forward to people um, being able to read that well, um, if the reviewer we too, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't kill us. Yeah. If the reviewer too doesn't kill it off, um, hopefully y'all will see it soon. But it it goes really deep to the philosophy that we hold as academics, as peer reviewers, um, and being able to recognize the philosophy that a, another author has, so that mm. your peer has. And then being able to read a paper, you know, with that understanding of where they're coming from and what they believe about reality and about truth and about knowledge creation. Like without that um, sensitivity and understanding of where other people are coming from ideologically, um, you end up with these really out of touch peer reviews coming back. Mm. Um, and that's kind of what we were critiquing in this paper. And that it shuts down debate, you know, that that people coming from the, the point of view that they think there is a right way to do things. Um, there is a need for, like, separating your values from your work. There's a need to talk about issues with balance. Like, all mm. of these things come into peer reviews. And they're, they're really ideologically charged comments that don't allow the reviewer to actually judge a paper on its merits or be helpful in any way it's just like uh it just shuts down debate rather than opens up debate so mm. i yeah i i'm excited about about that and that people are are talking about this beyond just like saying reviewer two is just um you know nasty nasty, nasty yeah. and mean and and judgmental yeah. and and a, a bad individual i think it's it's a lot it's a lot deeper in many cases, and it's it's a lack of understanding and uh, like intellect or philosophical nuance, you know. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, the reason I kind of I guess brought up this conversation is that what this season really highlighted for me once again is that we cannot talk about disasters in just black and white terms, right? There isn't the yeah. right or wrong answer. There isn't the right or wrong understanding of disasters. Um, and I really hope that this season helped us all a little bit more to navigate that thinking um, and perhaps um, think how and why we understand disasters and therefore scholars research disasters in a way that we research them. And I just want to signpost um, all of you listening to the accord that has just been issued a couple of weeks ago, and you can find it on the new or relaunched Radix website, mm -hmm. where we really encourage um, all of us to 
go through a series of questions that will help us to challenge our own research um, and our own disaster scholarship. Absolutely. And um, if anyone doesn't know the Radix website, it's www.radixonline.org. Do you know what I was thinking as well when you were saying about like no right way to study disasters was like, I, I, sometimes I find a lot of the people that I actually agree with, they'll make these like absolute statements about what's right and true, you know, and the right way to do things. And I may agree, but I can also recognize that philosophically they're behaving in a in a very absolutist and you could say positivist sort of um, objectivist way, way of, of looking at the world, you know? No, for sure. And, you know, we may agree and that is fine, but we, of course, need to recognize that not everybody agrees, right? And in yeah. some contexts, this just wouldn't make any sense. Uh, yeah. And I think this is what's missing, you know? Um, this is why what's right for me and you you know, we can't impose our right on, on everybody else, right? Or in our case, our left, I think. All right, so that is it for season five. Thank you all for being with us. It has been a blast as always. We've had Plenty of fun. A lot of our fun has not made it through final edits, but Thankfully. Be, be aware. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've protected you from some of the fun because it might not have been appropriate. Or it might have like cast us in a different light as, as professionals, <laughs> right? Because we're very professional, aren't we? We are very professional. Very serious, very professional. Very serious times. and professional. And we, we just let a little bit of humor in sometimes. So, everybody, don't forget to join us for the book group in November. We are reading Development, Drand, and Reborn. Yeah, if you can, read it with us and join us on that live stream. It'll be great to have Darian back with us, who I know is working on his dissertation so hard. Keep going. Keep going, um, keep going. Darian, you can do it. <laughs> um, he'll be back with us. He chose this book for the book group. And in December, please join us for our traditional Christmas special, which will be a blast as always. We'll play some games, read some stuff, and surprise each other with um, various gifts, right? Of intangible manner, absolutely. Yes. And we are back on the 3rd of January with season six. Um, and we're again, really, really excited to bring you something new. So in season six, we will be collaborating with the guest editors of the Emerging Voices special issue that is coming out in the Disaster Prevention and Management Journal soon. So we will be bringing you fantastic research by early career researchers from around the world. Um, we're really looking forward to talk uh, to so many early career researchers. They're absolutely amazing and inspirational. So something to look forward to. And of course, there will be yet another audience participation episode in season six. So look out for a call and participate as always. Thank you for being with us in season five. And we look forward to seeing you in 2022.
Well, thank you all for being with us today. And before you go, a few quick reminders about how you can stay connected with the podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at DisastersDecon. The podcast is available on all the major platforms. Please download, share, and most importantly, subscribe. And if you haven't already done this, we really appreciate your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. This will help us to continue making content for you. You've been listening to Disasters Deconstructed. And don't forget, disasters are not natural. See you next time.